Happy to Keg Daily is live for Tuesday, August 22nd. We're going to be talking about the MLB squeeze out of the small markets and how it affects the Milwaukee Brewers. We're also going to discuss Brenton Cox versus Malik Heath. If you had a choice for the 53rd man, who are you choosing? And then we will get into the Milwaukee Brewers taking on the Minnesota Twins for a little two-game series and also talk about the weirdness of the Minnesota-Wisconsin rivalry uh, in terms of sports. It's actually weirdly interesting professionally, uh, and I, I just want to talk about it at the very end of today's show. Good way to end it. Uh, before we get going, just a reminder, on social media, Tabnikeg on Twitter or X, however you want to call it, uh, Tabnikeg Sports on Instagram as well as TikTok and Facebook for that matter. Uh, make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, if you're already, you know the drill. Throw this in the group chat. I feel like this is a conversation a lot of people are having, uh, and it's it's something that we at least have to pay attention to. We can't ignore what's going on in baseball right now, and I definitely want to have a conversation because it is hot in these streets at the very moment. Major League Baseball does not like small markets. They have no interest in small markets. They want small markets to move to either a little bit of a larger market or find a destination location to play baseball. It is not a coincidence, in my opinion, that the Milwaukee Brewers came out of the report a week ago or so that they need funding by the fall or they're going to start looking for relocation. That Baltimore's owner, who cannot stop putting his foot in his mouth, stated that they basically can't keep everybody. They can't keep Adley Rushman. They can't keep Gunnar Henderson. They can't keep Jackson Holiday when he's up. Uh, they have all this talent, but they don't know what to do with it because they don't have the money to afford everybody. Uh, Chicago, while not a small market, definitely the second-tier team, being the White Sox, are potentially looking at Nashville and other locations and potentially on the move as well. This is three teams in Major League Baseball. There are 30 teams overall in Major League Baseball. That, if you do the math here quickly, that is 10% of the league. If you add the Oakland A's to that, who are already potentially on the move, as long as the Vegas thing doesn't fall through like a scene in Ocean's Eleven, that is 13.3% of all of baseball is talking about potentially moving. Now, Baltimore isn't, right? They're just saying, hey, we can't afford everybody. But if Baltimore doesn't pay their guys, people are going to tune out, and maybe these owners are going to sell, and someone maybe down the coastline in, say, Charlotte, North Carolina, is going to look at the Baltimore Orioles as this thriving team because John Angelos can cash out. He can make so much fucking money on this Baltimore Orioles team because they are set up to be one of the dynasties of baseball in the next 10 years as long as nobody gets hurt. The Milwaukee Brewers have some of that same allure given their very talented farm system and the guys that they have not on their roster right now. Uh, Chicago White Sox have talent, but it hasn't really worked out. But still, I think there is enough meat on the bone there to potentially build yourself a winner, especially if you come to a destination that everybody seems to care about. Baseball wants to root out some of the great baseball cities, mostly Milwaukee and Baltimore and Oakland for that matter, for the allure of bigger markets or destination cities. That seems to be the goal here. It seems to be the goal of all of this is that they do not necessarily want baseball in these former cities because they're tapped out. They think that they have hit sort of a peak 
with fandom and that they need to start looking at other cities to grow the game and that that is the only way that they are going to grow baseball domestically is if they go into other cities. Nashville is a hot name with a thriving AAA team. Why? Because it's a premier place for sports because of all of the tourists. It is called Nash Vegas for a reason. People treat it like the Midwest Las Vegas. It is a all-time summer spot. You go there for bachelor parties. You go there for bachelor bachelorette parties. It is a thing to do. And if you add an MLB team, guess what's going to happen? Everybody is going to try to get to Nashville in the summer. Oh, the Reds are playing whatever the Nashville team is. We're there. The Pirates are playing. The Yankees are playing. The uh, Los Angeles Dodgers are playing there. Like It is going to be a premier destination for other fans. And baseball wants to get there. I think baseball is making no bones about it. I think they would love to expand the South beyond just the Braves. It's outside of a top 25 DMA. Uh, for those who don't know, that is your market, sort of your market share in TV, uh, for those unfamiliar. Uh, but it's a destination location like Vegas. And Vegas also is actually lower than Milwaukee, uh, in, interesting enough from a DMA perspective. But it gets a pass because of that revenue that brings in from other fans, right? The other fans are going to bring you sellouts night in, night out. You don't even really have to be good. You're going to get people into the seat because they want to watch their team in a special location, whether it be a Las Vegas or a Nashville. Staying with that, I mentioned Charlotte down the coast, right, for Baltimore. Do you know that Charlotte is the 21st largest city by DMA standards? Do you also know that Raleigh, North Carolina is 23rd? So if you add the entire state of North Carolina, you have a top, you have two top 25 DMAs. That seems really good, right? You know who is the uh, AAA affiliate for the Chicago White Sox? You got it, the Charlotte Knights. Oh, that's convenient, right? That that seemingly works out. Oh, Michael Jordan is in Charlotte. Michael Jordan, you know, just cashed out a great deal from the Charlotte Hornets, has a relationship with the Chicago White Sox. I don't know if Jerry Reinsdorf would sell to Michael Jordan. I probably could see that being less likely than more likely. But that said, it, that raises an interesting question. Oh, that also would expand baseball's sort of southern, you know, district, right? And get you beyond just the Atlanta Braves. And I look, the Atlanta Braves are fucking great. I think it would be hard for people to break away from that fan base given the TBS connection and the 90s Braves and then what they are right now. Um, I, I think the time of strike would have been before the Braves have had this renaissance. But still, uh, I, I think it could. I think you're, there's still something about your hometown team, right? Um, I, I, there are Brewer fans, old, old Brewer fans, who are still Cubs fans. And they're like, I like the Brewers and the Cubs, which is weird. And I, I don't exactly agree with. But they say, well, the Cubs are my National League team forever. And the Brewers are my American League team. And then they, you know, formed. They're in the same league. So, I, you know, I cheer for both and whatever, which, again, those are weirdo fans, but that's how it is. And I, if Charlotte was in the AL, hypothetically speaking, I could see a similar thing happen with Atlanta. Portland's another hot name, right? Uh, their city struggles are well-documented. They, they don't necessarily have the best city. They're kind of in that San Francisco, Seattle, sort of what, what's going on there. But they still have thriving baseball teams. And, oh, by the way, Portland uh, is a top 25 DMA city without a baseball team. Oh, look at that. Baseball is trying to do a revolution here. 
And I don't know who is going to step up and tell Rob Manfred to fuck off. Who is going to have the balls to step up to Rob Manfred and say, this is not happening. You are not going to do this. You're not going to rip baseball away from all of these cities and states. It seems wrong. And it seems like not enough people are talking about it. It seems like we wring our hands about poor owners and we talk about, oh, these guys are such assholes and just pay the players or just sell the team. I hate sell the team, Mark. I absolutely fucking hate it. I, I apologize to those who follow me on Twitter. Maybe they listen to me on a podcast. I, I don't mean to be mean towards you, but I say it every fucking time when I see it or I, I see it on Twitter. Maybe I don't engage, but if Mark A sells the team, that team is getting moved to fucking Nashville, Charlotte, Portland. Take your goddamn pick. They're not going to be in Milwaukee. So shut the fuck up. If you want the Brewers to stay, stop saying Mark Ananasio sell the team. If you want the Brewers to move, God bless you. Go ahead, right? But if you really do want this Brewer team to stay, you got to figure out how ownership can help and what ownership needs to do. Are you willing to accept ticket prices being raised? That's something John Angelos talked about. It wasn't, again, I would not have recommended John Angelos to say a goddamn word. I can't believe the Baltimore Orioles are on a better PR. I, it's absolutely mind-blowing that John Angelos is this bad at, it, at basically being a public speaker. John Angelos has created a playbook of what not to do if you're Mark Ananasio. That said, I think the Brewers need to get creative. They need to see how the Braves, you know, kind of cook the books a little bit. Let's let's just be honest here. The Braves have done some really weird shit with contracts. Explore how you did that. Talk to Russ Ball. Granted, it is an entirely different fucking sport. They have a seller cap. Although you could argue seller caps aren't real in, in, in football. I think there are people who'd beg to differ. But at least get some advice. Seek out some counsel. Say, what have you guys done to kind of work your work your numbers? Talk to the Bucks. Figure out ways that A, you can start paying players because you're going to need it. And then B, start to sort of really work with lawmakers on both sides of the table and figure out what funding needs to happen. The, the sooner politicians realize that this is what baseball is doing, this, the better we'll all be, right? I understand that election year is coming up next year, okay? And that nothing really happens in election year. No macro changes happen in election year because everybody's trying to protect their job. No one wants to get chastised. No one wants to get criticized for it. But what I do think the state can help out with is I, if I were the state, I would be A, saying, all right, we'll figure out a way to foot this bill. We'll have this car, you know, we'll spread the money out. We'll figure out a way to use this. We'll figure out a way to help out things that are, aren't in the city of Milwaukee. Because that is a big sticking point for a lot of people is this whole idea of, well, only Milwaukee benefits, which again is absolutely fucking bullshit. It, everybody benefits. Everybody can come to the Brewers. The Brewers have weekend series all throughout the summer. You can certainly make trips to see the Brewers at American Family Field. And there's a lot to do. If that, if part of the agreement is creating a couple more hotels so that people can attend Brewer games from all over the state, fine. Do something like that. Get creative. This is the time to get creative and not sit on our hands. Because if we lose the Brewers as a state, 
I cannot forgive any anybody. I, I don't know. I, I really, I, I really can't ex put into words yet what that would do to me personally. I, I think that I would get over it at some point. But my father, who is a diehard Brewer fan, who watches almost every night, who's in his golden years, right? If you rip baseball away from that guy, there's fucking hell to pay. Okay. Like that's, that's just, that's it. That's the bottom line. Okay. And I, I just can't sort of get over that. I can't, can't get past that. And so I, I do think that deadline spur actions as Andrew Burt Brandt says way too fucking often. And I do think deals are going to get done for the Brewers. And I think they're going to do everything in their power to keep the Brewers here. I, I really do, guys. I, I don't think that we're going to get to mission-critical status. I think people know how important the Brewers matter to this city. I've said it before, and I'll, I'll say it again, and I'm sure this will make my Bucks, fan, Bucks fans, fan friends, there we go, mad about it. But if the Milwaukee Brewers won a World Series, we would see a party that would not even would be two times greater than what we saw with the Bucks. The city would be on absolute fire. This city shows up for baseball. This is a baseball town. This is a sports town. Let's fuck that. It's a sports town. Okay. Like they show up for their teams, especially in the playoffs. And there have been so many great brewer crowds. You think about 2011, you think about 2018, even 2021, you know, as we're just getting out of the pandemic. That was, those are good crowds. I was there for one of those games. Yeah, it did not go, go the way the brewers wanted. But those crowds kicked ass. They were loud. They were hyphy. And I'd expect the same in 2023. And I think you're going to get Milwaukee showing up for that series against Chicago at the end of the year if it does, in fact, matter. And it seems like the Cubs are not going away. And if, if it doesn't matter for the division, it's going to matter probably for the wild card. And I still think Brewer fans are going to show up for those. And I know I'm potentially going to be there Friday night with my father, which that's going to be rowdy for him, right? Uh, and I, I really hope that we're already clinched the division. But if we're not, him and I are celebrating that night. If that's the if that's division clinch night, uh, we're definitely we're definitely making something happen. So I I guess to bring it back to the squeeze out of small markets, it's a despicable thing that Rob Manfred's doing. He knows what he's doing. I realize that I lumped the Orioles in here, and it, and maybe they shouldn't have been. But it's it's a conversation worth having. It can't be a coincidence that all of these guys just are talking openly about, well, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. Come on, guys. We got to figure stuff out. And it, if it is a salary cap in baseball and it leads to a year-long lockout, so fucking be it. I will take that nine times out of ten. It would suck to have a summer without baseball. But if it meant that we'd have the parity that we see in the NBA, that we see now, NBA, yeah, because what, we've five different champions in five years. The parity we see in the NFL, uh, the parity that we see in the NHL. If we get that because baseball decides to not be the EPL all of a sudden, not be club soccer and not just have, okay, yeah, it's Man City, it's Liverpool, it's, uh, you know, four clubs, uh, Tottenham, have uh, I said Man City? I hope I said Man City. Man City is definitely the, the, the greatest example of this. 
But as long as it's not the same fucking four teams, you know, that's how you do it. And I, I really do believe that baseball can find new fans and the attendance numbers are through the roof. And that's, I guess, the part that I don't exactly get. Baseball wants to make an idea that they're tapped out and that this is, to, and this is again, my theory. I don't, I don't have any reporting on this. This is just how I see it. And, but if you're getting, if you're setting these attendance records all weekends and you're setting like Tuesday records and it's evident that the pitch clock is making people into baseball fans and bringing people into the ballpark night in, night out. You just got to figure out the TV thing. But guess what? NBA is going to deal with that same thing. So why not join forces there? NHL also going to deal with it. Why not figure out something with them? Uh, you're going to have, so that's, and that's a problem. And you'll figure that out and find a way to get more fans in on baseball. Because it is a great thing to have on, whether it's five innings or, ten, or nine innings. It's, it's a great summer activity. And I, I think more and more people are getting acclimated to baseball because they know that it's a three-hour experience and they know that it's seven to ten or it's six to six to nine or whatever it may be. That's that is what baseball now provides for you. And I, I really I really think and, and hope that we're gonna see more of that and that more people are gonna start coming and more people aren't gonna shudder away. But if the owners keep shitting on their fans and keep sort of saying that, well, we might move, we might move. No one's going to show up and baseball is going to have nobody to blame but themselves. Let's move on to the Green Bay Packers and the 53rd roster spot on the team. Now, for those who I, I would assume are familiar, uh, 53 man is basically what the Green Bay roster needs to be uh, by, I don't, know if there's a date just yet. It's usually the Saturday or the Sunday of Labor Day as when the cuts are made. I think they can be made at any time. And then I think the official like last cut is like four o'clock on Sunday. It's an all-time Big J complaint day, uh, by the way. Big J's love to fucking complain how they have to work over Labor Day. Thoughts and prayers to all of them who have to work. Um, it's part of the business, guys. Uh, anyways, the Green Bay Packers are likely going to have a decision between Malik Heath and Brenton Cox. Uh, Malik Heath, the talented wide receiver out of Mississippi, who we've talked about a lot on this show in the last week. Uh, he's lit it up. He had five catches for 75 yards uh, against the New England Patriots, and he has definitely been one of the breakout stars of the preseason thus far. Then you have Brenton Cox, who is a very athletic edge off the corner, played at Florida, played at Georgia, got kicked out at both schools. We'll put a pin in that that comment uh, sooner rather than later. But those are those seem to be the last guys on the list. Those seem to be the guys that you look at and say, all right, they're on the fence. They both matter. They both are very talented. But what do what does the what do the Green Bay Packers do? I think that there is a simple exercise for this. It comes down to if one of those guys, Heath or Cox, if they are playing starting for an NFC rival, we don't even have to say NFC North. So let's say we could put the San Francisco 49ers in there. We could put the Seattle Seahawks, which I still think is rival, Dallas Cowboys, 
Uh, you go to the NFC North, Lions, Vikings, whatever it may be. You see that guy starting next year. Which one are you going to be more pissed about? And I think it's Malik Heath. I really do. And I think Malik Heath is the guy that I would keep on that 53-man roster. I look at it in, in a few different ways. And I know I, I talked a little bit about it yesterday, but kind of expanding on it. Malik Heath is a guy that I, I think has a lot of talent. He can block. He can catch the ball in traffic. He is not afraid at all. Uh, he can go up and get it. He was a leading receiver on an SEC team. He was a standout prospect at Miss, in Mississippi when he got recruited to play at Mississippi State in Mike Leach's air raid. He fucked up at Mississippi State. He drove under the influence. He had a big-time rap sheet there, but kind of figured it out after the fact and knew that his off-field troubles were part of why people did not want to draft him. If you're familiar, Green Bay is a pretty safe place. Green Bay has a lot of young wide receivers. There's no guarantee that Don Travian Wicks, Jaden Reed, even Ro I, I should say I feel pretty good about Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson, but who knows, right? They both got hurt last year. I think you want more protection at the wide receiver spot because not only would Heath being a playmaker on the Bears or the Niners be a kick in the dick, it would just seem like a missed opportunity for Jordan Love. I think you need to give Jordan Love every potential weapon possible. I do not think that you should get let Jordan Love start his Packers career with an arm tied behind his back. That might be a little dramatic, but you get my point here. Why limit what Jordan Love has available to him? Does that mean Malik Keith is going to start week one? No, probably not. But does that mean that Malik Keith could have a moment, you know, week seven, week eight, when a couple guys are banged up? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I just think the Malik Keith impact matters a little bit more. Now, Brenton Cox, Brenton Cox is a you know son of a of, of a star and Brian Cox, you know, back in the day. He is a wild man. Uh, it's tough to, you know, contain, you know, maybe a little bit of the emotion that Cox shows. Uh, he's had a lot. He's got kicked off of two football teams. Uh, there's definitely some personnel issues there, similar with Heath. But Green Bay Packers are pretty long at edge rusher. Green Bay is really sort of talented at that edge rusher position. You have Rashawn Gary, as we all know. You have Preston Smith. Then you have Ingenbare. You have Justin Hollins, and you have Luke Van Ness. So you have six guys right there. That's that's a really talented edge room, even without Cox. And I, even, you know, if Cox ends up starting on one of those teams we mentioned, you know, Lions or, or Cowboys, I don't think that I'm that mad about it. Because I, I look at the depth of what we have, and I'm like, well, what, what are you just going to cut Luke Van Ness, the guy who drafted in the first round? You're going to put him on practice squad? No way. You're going to cut Justin Hollins, who's one of the few veterans that they have who seemed like kind of a breakout guy in the back half of last year? No. I think that you could try to sneak Cox on the practice squad. I don't know if it's going to work. I highly doubt it would. I think he would get picked up. I think teams know what he's doing. Every, every team is keeping an eye on these bubble guys. And I'm sure they have their eyes set on Heath. I'm sure they have their eyes set on... On Cox, we talked a little bit about if they release Samari Torre, 
I think Aaron Rodgers would be knocking down that door. I, I think that that's a guy you probably can't sneak on the practice squad. So with that being said, I, I still feel confident leaving Cox off this roster. I don't think that that's a huge deal considering what they have at the edge position. And pass rushers, I, I'm not going to say they're a dime a dozen because, you know, they're not. But there are guys who can get to the quarterback, you know, on third down, and there's guys who just are complete menaces. I don't think Brenton Cox is a complete menace yet. I think Luke Van Ness has a chance to be one. I think Rashawn Gary already is one. I think Preston Smith has moments of being a menace. I think Ingen Barre has shown a ton of potential. If Ingen Barre wasn't flashing the way that he was, I think this is a more it is more difficult to make. Like I, I, I really do. But Ingen Barre has flashed in ways where I look at that guy and I think he's a reliable player for him. And as we, we discussed yesterday, like it's a way to keep Rashawn Gary kind of off the field and not let him play a ton of snaps early on in his sort of development back to being a player. Like, the ACL injuries take time, man. They're not something that just you fix overnight. Like, that's not something that you just immediately have, you know, your eight, your body back to life. And that's why you need a guy like Ingenbari. And so, yes, I, I think I settle on I would be Team Heath over Team Cox uh, if it were coming down to those last two guys. Now, if you could find a way to keep both, absolutely. I'm all in. But that means you're probably sacrificing somewhere. There are some conversation of would they really go with four cornerbacks? Now, they just signed a corner to a practice squad. They just signed a linebacker as well. Not to the practice squad, to the, to the team, as well as a linebacker. Uh, Devondre Campbell's having an ankle injury. Devondre Campbell, by the way, like that's a kind of a sneaky, not great storyline right now uh, is Devondre Campbell's ankle. Andre Campbell can't go week one. That's that's a big deal uh, for the Packers. Uh, that makes things a lot more difficult against Justin Fields, and definitely makes me feel a little bit differently about that game. I I will say at this point, I'm very confident about the game. If Campbell isn't out there, I'm like I I take it down a little bit. Um, and so I hope that's not the case. Uh, I would love Andre Campbell out there. He must not be on Twitter anymore. Uh, he, I was following him on Twitter, and he was just tweeting accent, I guess now up a storm. And I've lost him out of my uh, out of my Twitter feed, so I don't know where Devondre Campbell went. Uh, if he just decided to stop tweeting about it, oh, it was after him calling out Adam Sheen about calling him a dumbass about the Jordan Love can't play football, and Devondre Campbell has has kind of just. Oh, he, he kind of nuked his account. He was like engaging with a bunch of people. And Devondre Campbell has sort of stopped, stopped using Twitter. He's liking tweets. Um, I can see him liking tweets, but that's it. Um, and so it appears that, uh, Devondre Campbell is, uh, is, is get, got the, uh, band stick from the Packers, uh, social media team. So JT Walters, let Devondre live on X a little bit, can we? Uh, but anyways, yeah, that's not great with his ankle. Um, I, I hope it's all right. I hope that I'm just being a worrywart. But yeah, that's that's the only other thing that I'm kind of keeping my eye on uh, this week besides just the normal stuff. And I also like that, you know, the bandwagon starting to fill up with Jordan Love. Uh, one Packer writer said that he was the leader of the bandwagon. I was like, OK, 
okay. That's a little bit narcissistic, just a touch. Uh, but do you? Uh, and so, but yeah, it's, it's cool to see Rich Eisen, Dan Orlovsky, both talking about maybe the Packers as contenders. I, I Guys, I, I will just say this. I was very much on board with not talking myself into a Green Bay Packers Super Bowl year. And I was going to say, you know, Mitch and I do our preview. I was going to pick another NFC team. But now I'm like, am I going to really fucking pick the Packers? I probably won't. I probably will pick 49ers or some other team. But, man, oh, man, these guys are making it hard. I mean, it's like, well, why can't they be the Bengals of a couple of years ago? I'm like, why Why can't they not? Like, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, which would be wild. I, I think there is going to be someone who goes to Packers-Jets Super Bowl and just puts their balls on the table. I know. That would kill Murph. That – I don't know what would we. I think we need to talk to Murph about that hypothetical at some point if he's allowed. Uh, busy guy right now, uh, and it, I just need to kind of go through like what the stages would be. It'd be two weeks. He'd likely go. We'd have to just we'd have to work it out. I might just have to be there as moral support in Vegas. Um, yeah, you know, why, why not, right? New Vegas, man. I'm going to Portugal uh, in late February. So I'll just go Vegas to Portugal. Uh, that's my whole February. Sounds great. I'm sure my job won't mind, right? Uh, but anyways, went off the rabbit hole a little bit. We'll get back to uh, baseball here. And But yeah, I, I'm very curious to see what happens with the Heath and Cox debate. I mean, obviously, we have another week. We have another preseason game. They, you know, a lot can change. A lot, lot can change that week. And decisions will need to be made. We'll see, you know, where the Packers go. And certainly hit me up on social, kind of where you're at, if you're Team Heath or Team Cox, and give your give your reason why. All right, moving back to baseball. Uh, let's talk about actual baseball, not the macro comments. Macro is the word of the day for me uh, on the pod, by the way. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, sometimes I get stuck on a word, um, and macro seems to be it today. Uh, Brewers Twins. That's two-game series. Uh, they meet starting tonight. Uh, you have Bailey Ober against uh, Wade Miley. But before we get going, let's just kind of give you a rundown of what the Twins are right now. They come to town being themselves, really. A 500 ball club in the last 30 days. They are worse on the road, being five games under 500. The Brewers and Twins have met already this season. Uh, they do those weird two-game series with the quote-unquote rivals of the other uh, league. The Brewers were swept by the Twins in Minnesota. Uh, that was when the Brewers were on their long losing streak in June, probably the low point of the season, really. Uh, and the Brewers, that was one of the only blown saves by Devin Williams. Remember, Carlos Correa hit an absolute piss missile out. Uh, for Devin Williams to blow that save. As mentioned, you have Bailey Ober against Wade Miley uh, for the game number one. Uh, spread line's about even uh, for those who care. Uh, Ober's been pretty bad in August. Uh, he is a 5-6 ERA. Uh, he was really good to start the year. Uh, he dominated the Brewers uh, when they faced off in June. Uh, Ober was really on his game that day. I think he retired something like 18 or 19 Brewers in a row. Uh, Wade Miley, you know, looking for better luck. Uh, he wasn't that bad against the Dodgers. It just no, no ball seemed to actually go to, you know, the fielders and every ball squirted through. Uh, twins are brutal against lefties. The Brewers have kind of shaked that bad against lefties. The Twins haven't. They're one of the worst teams against lefties per OPS. I think they're actually like 28th, uh, this season. They actually, that might be 
last. I, I think it might be Guardians. But anyways, regardless of the fact, they do not do well against lefties. So the Brewers do have an advantage there, and they need to take advantage of it. And you need to keep the foot on the gas pedal here. And you have a ton of momentum coming home. Should be a great crowd, right? You have one nice day, and we'll talk about uh, the weather uh, impacting on Wednesday. But there, there should be no reason why I don't have a big crowd out. You know, people probably visiting in from Minneapolis, watching the Twins play as well. So it, it should be a good night at the ballpark. And it's one where the Brewers can kind of keep that momentum going and keep it flowing from the week and maybe be a springboard. They're 7-3 in their last 10 games, uh, which it is, is, not, is not nothing, right? Uh, I think we've been looking for that hot streak for the Brewers, and maybe this is the start of it. We'll, we'll have to see. Again, Ober could shove again and be the guy that we saw back in June against the Brew Crew as well. And then on Wednesday, you have Kenta Maeda, who's really been the Twins' ace of late. He's had an under-3 ERA in the month of August. And you have Corbin Burns, who's been awesome. It is going to be hot, hot, hot uh, at the ballpark there. It is going to be 98 degrees uh, for a high on Wednesday. I was looking at some of that. I know we do weather on tapping the keg with Mitch, but, man, that day is nuts. Like 82 by 9 a.m. It's going to be 96, I think I saw, by five, at 5. Like, I'm trying to figure out just how I get my dog outside. Uh, for any tips, if you're in a warm weather climate, please uh, submit those. Uh, but that means that anything in the air could go out of the ballpark. Uh, when it's that hot, that is, it's like Coors Field, uh, it, it, at American Family Field. So I, these are two really good pitchers, but it's really going to come down to who can keep the ball on the ground, right? And who's going to be able to have, have guys hit into, you know, the dirt versus lifted into the air. If you look at Maeda, he is a fly ball pitcher. So that works the Brewers' advantage. So far this year, 121 fly balls to the 62 ground balls. Look at Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns is, he, it's, it's, it's a little bit better. It's not a, you know, every other, you know, ball is a fly ball. 224 to 175. What does that work out to? Let's do the quick math here on the pod. You guys are probably screaming at me. You're like, I know exactly what that is. I do not because I am not a math major, although I did get a math uh, 56%. So that's not bad. That's not bad. I mean, that works in Burns' favor. Uh, so I, I was originally saying, like, what's the hope for this series? And I was like, one-on-one, -on -one, you know, the Twins are good. They're leading the AL Central, like, even though the they're not awesome, you know, on the road, I still feel like one-on-one -on -one would probably be sufficient. But now that I kind of look into it, now that I kind of dig into it, they're, you never want to say like they should sweep, but both days have are stacked in the Brewers' favor, right? You have Ober, who's been struggling, plus Wade Miley, who faces a team who's not good against lefties. That's number one. Then number two, you have a very hot day at the ballpark and a pitcher who every other ball basically is a fly ball if he's not striking out batters. Like that, those two things should really work the Brewers' advantage. So yes, I think one and one's realistic, but they could sweep and they could be on a five-game winning streak heading into their matchups with the Padres this weekend. So we'll we'll have to see if they're able to do that. Uh, we will recap the entire series actually on Thursday's show, whether that is tapping the keg 
or that is uh, myself. Uh, Mitch and I, I have not reached out to my man Mitch to figure out if we are doing a pod this week. Um, that's still unknown. One thing I did want to mention, though, before I, I sign off for the day, the weirdness of the fact that the Brewers do not, or well, Milwaukee professional sports and Minnesota professional sports really only have Green Bay and Minnesota. And right now, I would say it's peaceful times between the two, right? They've certainly fought in the past. It's certainly been a very aggressive uh, rivalry between the Packers and Vikings. But I feel right now it's so big in Packers and Bears. I feel like Packers and Bears right now is taking the top spot as the rivalry that everybody's talking about because it's love versus fields and it's, you know, it's a talking point about the two. I don't know if the Packers are going to Minnesota with the Vikings rivalry be amped up to start there. You do have the Justin Jefferson, Jair Alexander thing. Uh, so maybe there's a little bit there, there's, but it's just not to the same level, I think, as what we're seeing with Love and Fields. So that said, like you think about it and you're like, okay, so you have the Twins and the Timberwolves. Both teams you really don't see much. Timberwolves are not in the Bucks division. Twins aren't in the Brewers division. Uh, you have the Minnesota Wild that no one really cares about because it's hockey, right? There's no hockey alliance. So you look at it all and you're like, it really comes down to football because, you know, you have Wisconsin-Minnesota. Now, there are Marquette fans or Brewer fans who don't really care about the Wisconsin-Minnesota rivalry, but that's a pretty hateful rivalry. The P.J. Fleck, you know, has sort of taken ownership there. And so it's it's definitely, you know, a weird sort of subsection that there's only one pro rivalry. And I, I thought about this, too, and I was like, it's actually – and then baseball has one in Milwaukee-St. Louis, right? We only have the Cardinals. But honestly, like, I don't really root for the Blues because I know all those people are Cardinals fans. I don't really feel the same way about the Wild. So I'm like, oh, they're, they're Vikings fans. And maybe only the Timberwolves, weirdly. I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's, it's so selective. <laughs> I can't, can't explain it. Like, everyone's getting excited about Anthony Edwards uh, after what he did uh, in the FIBA World Cup. And I'm like, well, you know, people who cheer for the Wolves are also Vikings fans. And that's you got to remind yourself that sometimes, and that's also true with Blackhawks fans, right? And that's that was always a lot of people's big issue uh, when like McGillicuddy's here in Milwaukee would is a Blackhawks bar, and people will get so fired up for the Blackhawks Stanley Cup, and everyone's like, "Well, people you're cheering with are fucking Bears fans in the fall, and they're Bulls fans in the winter." Uh, you know, probably not because usually you choose between hockey and basketball, um, and but they're Cubs fans in the summer, right? Like as, as only if you know like a Packer, White Sox, Blackhawks fan, should you be like associated with them. And I, and look, I am the last fan gatekeep because you know how I feel about it. With when it comes to Wisconsin football and Marquette basketball, we're gonna have to have that talk next week, um, an annual uh, discussion topic here on this podcast. Uh, but I, I just I don't know, I find it kind of interesting. So that is a non high high thought from Charlie. Uh, maybe a segment. Uh, that we, that we, uh, we continue to roll on. Uh, one of the many segments we've tested out here on Tavern Keg Daily. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Uh, I will be back in some capacity on Thursday, uh, whether it's with Mitch or without Mitch. I will be there, but we'll have off tomorrow. Uh, we'll recap the Brewers twin series. I'm sure we'll get some more Packer stuff as we inch closer to, uh, Seattle. Maybe a hard knocks thoughts as I did last week. Uh, my guy, Robert Salah, just dropping F-bombs everywhere because the dude loves saying fuck. And when I say my guy, I mean that very facetiously. 
Uh, but yeah, we will be back on Thursday. You guys enjoy your Tuesday and stay cool on Wednesday. Uh, don't be a hero. Okay. All right. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.